So as Micah, or as James was talking about, we're in this series talking about the gospel. And even on the marquee out there, we kind of put the sort of one sentence about God's work to ream and to rescue the world through the work of Jesus Christ, to renew all things. This good news of what God is doing to restore everything. And so over the series, we've been longing to grow in a kind of a fluency that out of our lives and mouths could come good news. And not just good news for people who are outside of the doors of here, but good news to each other because we could practice speaking into the tons of areas of unbelief of our lives. And so last week, we kind of talked about this sort of the two lenses, but the big, the, the big picture of God wanting to bring restoration to the world through the glory of God filling every area of the world And that happening through Jesus being in every area of the world. And that happens as we make disciples who make disciples. And so we kind of talked about that last week. And and today, we want to talk about uh, kind of living into this identity of a gospel identity, about framing who we are and having this new identity. And so the big idea today is this, that we're created in God's own image. And if we're created in God's own image, there's something about the three-in-oneness of this. And that created in God's likeness of three and one, then our gospel identity is this, that we are a family of missionary servants sent as disciples who make disciples. And this has huge implications for our life and ministry as we live out our true identity. And so we talk about identity, we know that so much of our identity is formed from family. Uh, I, and I'm Irish, or at least I have a portion of that, and I got the chance to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, not in any super meaningful way, but in Irish, and it's a part of my identity. But also, as we kind of think about the things that have formed us, and family is one of those, many of us come from many different places. So we think of our story as being maybe even abnormal. And so as I even think about my own family, and, and about this, about this identity of who we are, a phrase has come to help connect with even my family story. And so when we think about family and our identity, there's lots of pain that's usually associated with that depending on the kind of family you were a part of. There's groaning that comes in many of our family stories. But there's also beauty that's in it. And so there's this expression of groaning beauty when we think about family. It seems to connect. That's the context, I think, of the world when we talk about family. There's a groaning either for it, a longing for it, and we're living in a world of groaning beauty. And this is a storyline I think that all of us, either, all of us actually have found ourselves in. In this one of sort of longing for a restoration. So as I was thinking about my own family, and I've got really interesting family and I could tell you like four different family components, but let me share one from two years ago, and I got a chance to do a wedding. And it's going to be incredibly hard for you to follow along. So I want to warn you, all right? So be prepared. You're not going to be able to draw out the family tree of this story. I'm going to get you lost within probably the first three moves, but just hold on to understand this idea of the groaning beauty and this picture of family in our own identity, right? Okay, so... I was traveling, I was going to perform the wedding for a family member. Um, This family member is my ex-stepdad's third wife's son, adopted into the family. And so I'm traveling to Missouri for this, and I'm going to pick up my ex-stepdad's first son from his marriage, biological son at the airport, and then we're going to drive to where I'm from in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and stay together um, for this wedding. And at the wedding, so I was staying with my ex-stepdad and his fourth wife, and with his first son's wife, 
marrying the third son whom he adopted because this third son was born into a family whose husband was already married and never told a soul about him so he had no father who was willing to acknowledge his existence. So when my ex-stepdad married his third wife, he adopted him into the family and so he took him in his zone, right? Does, is that some context? So I'm there marrying him and I'm sitting at this table with my family. And none of us are blood related. And I'd look around at the weirdness of this story, but also the fracture of this story. Here's my stepbrother from my ex-stepdad's first marriage in the fracture of that relationship. And I'm here as the stepchild whom he has just embraced into his life from the failed second marriage, here at the wedding of the third wife with his son who has this fractured relationship with his birth family, um, and we're there with him and his new wife staying in their home and celebrating his wedding. And when I was there for the wedding, um, my, I, my stepbrother, right, the guy that's getting married, okay, I don't know what to call some of them, but so um, his new wife invited invited um, my stepbrother's birth father who never acknowledged him but yet he had all these half-sisters who found out when he was about 16, 17 years old that he existed when he saw some, they saw some checks of alimony being sent and they're like, dad, who is this and why are you sending this person money? And they're like, and eventually it came out, he had to tell that, all right, there was a, a boy that was born and he has not acknowledged him or told anyone about him, but this is your half-brother. And these daughters flipped and were like, we want to know him. He is ours. What have you done? And they begin to embrace him as family. But yet the, the dad who made that mistake and, and was found out had yet to really say anything or acknowledge his son by birth. And yet he's there at the wedding. And he was invited by the wedding because my stepbrother's new wife longed for the restoration of that relationship. She's not a Jesus follower. Like she, doesn't, she doesn't get that story of restoration. But all along in this groaning and of brokenness and of all this, there is this weird picture of restoration, of longing, of something beautiful. And I sat there at this wedding and could look at all the fractures almost in a comical way, but also see this beauty, this beauty of, God, of restoration, of longing for it, this beauty of people embracing each other who aren't by blood but yet call each other brother and sister, this picture of family that is messed up, of this picture of groaning beauty, but yet beautiful as we see the longings for restoration and forgiveness and people coming together. That's a part of my identity. Maybe even though I think that story is so weird and nobody can relate to it, maybe you're like, no, Bo, that's the reality of most of us. Our families are fractured in so many ways, and we groan for the families that seem whole and complete and together, and that's not a reality of any family. But yet, in the midst of it, we see these pictures of beauty as people love each other and forgiveness getting to get marked out and lived out in certain components. So today when we talk about our identity, I think it is this part of understanding the gospel that we get to step in fully into this picture of family that we groan for and we long to see the beauty of it. 
And I believe when we understand this picture of our identity and the full family that we were supposed to, that we were meant to be a part of and the restoration that's going to come everywhere, I think it's this picture of, of how we were meant to live and, and to step into it. And I think it's going to be something that we'll groan for as we talk about it today, about God's ideal for family and what it was meant to live into that identity. We'll groan for it and we'll also be able to testify about the beauty of it that we've experienced in some way. And so I know there's a tension today as we talk about this, but I welcome you into it, and I pray that you can embrace the parts of your life that you groan for more family, for a restored picture of it, but yet also you can agree to the beauty of the way it's meant to be. So may God come and tend to us as we talk more deeply into this. And so today, when I talk about our identity and this gospel identity about who we are, I say this, we are a family, again, of missionary servants sent as disciples who make disciples. And so our, out of that statement comes this, our identity flows out of this religious term I'll call the Trinity. And the Trinity is this idea of who God is in his threeness but oneness. The Trinity is this expression of talking about God as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is when we say God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I mentioned three, but the Trinity says it's one. One unity, one God. And so I know this is a super complex idea, and so in order to help me share this with you, I have invited St. Patrick, who is, you know, I'm Irish, in order to share with us the essence of the Trinity for common folk. So let's allow St. Patrick in light of St. Patrick's Day to share with us this truth. Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time. So try to keep it simple, okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms. Liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star, and the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. <laughs> All right, sorry. The Trinity is like uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm going to stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess 
Partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism. A heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously. I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean, really, Patrick. I'm going to stab you in the face, Patrick. Okay, that was probably a bit much. All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Modalism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an animal. Partialism revisited. Fine, the Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. Now let's all put on some giant green foam hats, get riotously drunk, and vomit in the Chicago River to celebrate our conversion. Okay, helpful? All right, so here, here's the thing that I think is the most helpful when we're thinking about the Trinity, the three-in-one. It's not a mathematical problem. It's a relational one. The Trinity has shown us relationship of what, the, what God is like. We are created in his likeness. And in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit cohabitating together equally, fully submissive to one another, yet distinct. And, and a part of this, the divine dance that flows through each other and with each other with perfect intimacy, joy, and submission and love. It's a picture of relationship. The Trinity is a picture of family. Because it's meant to be. It's mystery, but it is beautiful. And the Trinity, this Godhead, is always open. This family is so good. The Godhead in itself, God in himself is always open. He is never closed. And so what we have seen is the way that God is interacting as the Trinitarian God, the Godhead, is one who is open to his creation being a part of his family coexisting and being in him and God being in them. And so today when we think about the Trinity helping us with our identity, it is showing us the way that humanity was meant to exist in relationships, fully infused and fully brought into the, into the family of God and fully having a full family connected and moving out into the world. It's a beautiful picture. The Trinitarian circle where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit dwelt, or the Holy Spirit indwell, and are indwelt by one another, as I said, is not closed, but it's open. And we've been invited into the circle of God's life to participate in the divine dance with God. In the, in the incarnation of Jesus, when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, God's desire and his intention to pour himself into us and to draw us into himself is fully revealed. That's God's intent. He would pour himself into us and we would be fully in him as family. And so when Jesus gave us the privilege and the call to make disciples and to baptize them, 
He was inviting us into this new identity and to be this new people. So when Jesus, in the Great Commission, pulls it together in Matthew 28, and he says, go make disciples and baptize them in what name? The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is Matthew 28, verse 19. And immerse them into the fullness of God. Let them know their identity is fully formed in who God is and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This marks this new identity into the relationship of God. Let them be immersed into the fullness of everything that God is. And so even ironically at Jesus' own baptism, we see the Trinity there as Jesus the Son in flesh. God the Father who speaks out over Jesus and the Spirit descending upon Jesus in a dove. And the words of the Father that proclaim over Jesus in Matthew 3 are this. Oh, this is my Son in whom I am pleased. This is the son I love. He speaks over him. This is my son in whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And so when we step into this new relationship in our baptism with God, being embraced into God's family as it's meant to be our identity changes. And in the same way that the father speaks over Jesus, we need to hear him continually speaking over us again and again. This is my child. This is my daughter and whom I love, and whom I'm well pleased. This is my son, and who I delight in, and whom I'm pleased. You need to hear those words. The father who speaks over to over your adoption as you're pulled into the fullness of the family of God. This is our gospel identity. And again, so let me speak into that. We'll mark out the trinity in this, but here's the identity phrase that we were going to come back to again and again this morning. We are a family of missionary servants sent as disciples who make disciples. So the first one, we're family. We're family as God, as our Father. We are servants as Jesus was a servant and sent to serve. And we are missionaries through the Holy Spirit. So family, here's the first one. Based upon the Father. To become a Christian is to enter into a relationship with God as our Father. A perfect Father who loves us. To find a new family, both eternal and right now. And when we do this, we hear the words of God saying, this is my son and daughter who I'm pleased. We enter into this new reality. We are a family immersed into the Godhead and his family. This is our family. This is what it's meant to be. The language of our relationship with God has always been family. And so when God was in his perfect unity and this perfect love and a love that, that didn't only uh, exist in itself of God but reached out to the world of all his creation and wanting all creation to know his love and be a part of it and be consumed by it, we see that God is wanting to form a family, wanting to draw us into his family to know him as father. And for so many get stuck in this place we wrestle with the idea of the church as a family being connected to the Father. But this is our identity. Our identity comes from this relationship as God as Father and we as children. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It is given as a free gift. Our identity is that we are a part of the family of God. This is the core of what we ache for. Karma and I have, uh, we adopted and our son, our son is black um, and so we have great longings for him, but also we're not naive to his uniqueness in our family. When we adopted him, our family changed. We were going through trainings of this, and so we adopted interracially. And they said, your identity changes in this adoption. 
You're, 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 you're an interracial family. You're di- it's just different now. And so when we long for identity in our own identity and for him, we long for him to know his identity as we do in the family of God. Knowing that he is long for him to be pulled into it, that he would be firmly grasped who he is, loved by the Father, created by the Father, embraced by the Father, created by him, fully embraced, that he would know who God is. I pray this for him every night that he would know his identity. Partly because I'm aware of anyone who was adopted transracially, and I hear the stories of those adopted transracially, that it hits a time where and it won't be long for him, because we're continuing to tell him, continue to tell him about his adoption story. We don't hide it from him. It's going to be hard. He's black. We are white, right? That's only a matter of time. Um, but, but, but we also know there's something about him knowing his identity as, as a black man. And we know that that's not in conflict with his identity as a son and daughter of God, because it's a part of his identity. He doesn't lose that when he's brought into the family of God. It's a part of who he is. And we long for him to feel comfortable in that place, even though that my wife and I know nothing about that. We have no power in order to do that. So we long to put ourselves around people who can teach him that. And people we love and that we know can, can help encourage him as he begins to wrestle with his identity. First and foremost, we long for his identity to be in Jesus as a son of God, loved by him. But we know there's other components of who he is and how he was created. We know that there is a birth mother and a birth father who gave him their DNA who love him. And he'll want to know them and there's a family there that he won't know. And he will feel the groaning of that. And he will have to wrestle with that groaning and we know that. We long to try to figure out how as the best we can as parents to do that but to give them this picture of family. And for so many of you, you are the ones here too, as we are family, you're embracing our son and giving him a picture of family where family doesn't mean we all look alike. It's when there's diversity and uniqueness. But with that comes tension. But in it, boy, when humility rolls, it's a beautiful picture. That's what we long to we long for that in our family, and we hope that you do too as well, that we can understand that in our picture and our story that God is our Father, and this is the foremost identity bear that all of us long to understand. God is our Father, and our identity is first and foremost found in Him and His love for us, Him and His adoption of us through Jesus Christ. And our Father is in the process of longing to adopt more. He doesn't stop This family is not closed. It is always open. So that's his family. God is our father. The second part of this one is about not only our families, but we're meant to be servants. This is about the son because Jesus Christ came to serve. He said he didn't come to be served, but he came to be a servant. Even before his death and the final picture that he gave the world about what he was like, he clothed himself with a towel and he went and he washed his feet and he says, hey, you don't get what I'm doing now, but blessed are the one who does what I'm doing. And what is that? Being a servant of all. He came to serve. And so our identity, not only as part of God's family, as his beloved children marked with God's DNA in us and Jesus' blood pouring upon us, is this, that we are also, our identity is meant to be servants because this is what our family is like. This is what our brother, Jesus, who came and redeemed us, this is what our Godfather, our Father is like, servant. And so we too, we come with this to be servants. 
following Jesus' example, we live as servants in the world. As he served, we serve now too. I love this expression of it. That the ministry of Jesus Christ that we have entered, we are participating with Christ in his ongoing ministry as he offers himself to others through us. Jesus is offering himself to others through us. We are serving through Christ. This is a beautiful picture. And the book of Acts explains this because it says, hey, as it begins, it begins with, this is what the beginning of Jesus' life looks like. Acts is this ongoing picture of Jesus' life being lived out through the ministering of the world through the disciples. So I want one thing here about being a servant, and I want to be it's really clear because this can get a little bit dangerous for us to those of you, we have some really some great servants in this, in this church and so your service in the way that it's directed in being a servant, even though the expression of that's going to be lived out in the world towards the lost, the lonely, and the least of these, it is actually in essence directed to the Father and not to the world and to the church. Our service, our, our ministry is to the Father. It's directed to the Father. And this is the way that Jesus lived. When Jesus was engaging in the world, he said, I'm only doing what the Father is doing. And when he was questioned about doing certain things, they would ask him, what, what are you doing? He says, I'm only doing what the Father is doing. And so Jesus wasn't responding. He didn't respond to everything in the world. He was responding to what the Father was doing. His service is directed to the Father. Saying, oh, Father, what are you doing? Let me engage with what you're doing in the world. And so there'll be times when there's a whole group of people hanging out at a pool and Jesus is walking through and all of them are willing to jump into that pool and to be healed. But yet there was one man that Jesus steps up to and engages in a conversation and heals him. Didn't mean that he didn't long for him, but he said he healed him because the Father was at work. And so our service is directed to the Father. The Father dictates the direction of Jesus' ministry and he dictates the direction of ours as well. So we're servants. But the final one as we talk about, and so that's the part of connecting to our identity of Jesus. And so the final one is this idea of the Holy Spirit and of being missionaries. Because that whole statement is saying that we are called, we are a family who are adopted into the family of God of missionary servants, servants connecting to Jesus. So we are missionaries. And so this missionary statement is about the Holy Spirit because Jesus sent his disciples into the world promising that the Holy Spirit would lead them. And we now have that same Spirit living in us, sending us as missionaries into every context of life. Out on the board, you see our value. We, uh, we call it sending out, but really that value is saying we are all missionaries. We are missionaries in our context and where we live. And we are missionaries who depended upon the Holy Spirit to speak into us. So just here a second earlier, I talked about that. We are trying to be able to understand where the Father is directing us, where he is leading us, and without the Holy Spirit, we will not know how to do this. Only through the Holy Spirit can we discover what the Father is doing. And so on the scriptures, it says, be full of the Holy Spirit. And many of you are with us when we went through the more series. We talked about that God longs to give us more of himself. He longs to immerse, him, immerse us with himself, to fill us with himself. He longs for this. He longs to kind of fully be a part of lives. Now, we would be fully a part of the Godhead 
It's what God's desire is. That we would know what that is like. And until we do, we'll continue to experience all that groaning in order to be fully a part of that, to be fully alive in our identity in God's family and living out our purpose. They got our vocation as his kids in this world. We long for this. To be full of the Holy Spirit can be described as this. It's a, it's a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit characterized by surrender and abandonment to the Spirit. The Spirit is present in all believers, but in some he is not preeminent, meaning he is not top, he is not the main, he's not the driver. Even though the Spirit is present, the Spirit is not, pre- is not the driver of the relationship. Although the Spirit is resident in all, in some he is not president, if that makes sense. To be full of it is to be abandoned and surrendered to the Spirit. And so we talk about this identity today that has huge implications for us to the people who would find our identity in the Trinitarian expression of God, in the Father, in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father as our family being adopted into it, in the Son as being servants, and in the Holy Spirit as being sent as missionaries into this world. This is our identity, then to go and make disciples in the Godhead. This has monstrous implications. Can I just give you a couple, and, and then you have a chance to talk about these in your small groups? That moving toward this sort of Trinitarian model of church life and identity will involve, involve a major shift away from individualism. Right? Where we're just kind of consumed about ourselves and what our own journey is and making this a real private affair, an individualistic way of thinking. For so many of us, we've been brought up into thinking that religion was a private matter, that our encounters with Jesus were private and that assuming that we can just believe without belonging, right? That we can believe the right things, but actually not belong to a people and not belong in a family. Being disconnected from the reality of our identity, being connected to a people and to God. When you believe in Christ, you enter into the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of every other Christian who's a part of the triune fellowship. We are connected to each other when we connect to Jesus. And so I think there's, four, there's three commitments that I want to encourage us to as we think about the implications for this, about being connected into this family and connect with one another. And one of this is this. It's a commitment to wholeness in our interpersonal relationships with one another. Merciloff uh, Wolf, who's a theologian, he says that all of us have a tendency towards one sort of unhealthy expression or maybe even both. We either have uh, a tendency to move towards an unhealthy um, embrace or an unhealthy exclusion. Meaning that either we're on an unhealthy way, we're trying to embrace everyone and we're going to find our, our life by being connected to others and everyone else. They're going to inform our identity or our life. It's called codependency, Right? So we're either going to have an unhealthy embrace of other relationships, not being able to say no, being a people pleaser. We're going to be driven towards that. Or we're going to be driven towards an unhealthy exclusion, meaning we're going to exclude people. We're going to run from people. We're going to isolate from people. And mo- all of these are caused by wounds and hurts in our lives. And all of us are either have probably some sort of inkling in order to drive towards one or the other or both in different situations. As I begin to can reflect on my patterns of my own brokenness and the unhealth of my life, it's the unhealthy exclusion. That in the midst of hurt, I will exclude myself. I will go off alone. I will 
I will kind of cocoon. And even find myself in an extroverted role here in the church. A lot of times that might even show up in the relationship of my marriage. And the most painful spots of my marriage is when I'm here and having this chance to share or teach and extrovert ideas and feelings. And all of a sudden, in a moment, I will extrovert a feeling that I have not shared with my wife. Because it's the first time it's come up. And when I share things that I haven't shared with her, we kind of know there's something going on here where I'm excluding her from the deepest parts of me, out of hurt or brokenness or that. I know my tendency is to go to places of exclusion. And so what's yours? Do you know which one you're more attended to? It reveals that there's wounds and maybe conversations that need to take place. We need both. We need embrace and we need exclusion at different times. And we need those healthy patterns of our lives. But which one do you move into an unhealthy manner? If we're going to function as this family, moving as servant missionaries in this world, as God is our head, we will need to learn in order to have wholesome relationships and to be able to balance between these and tell the truth, forgive each other, embrace each other, and then also find times of renewal and refreshment as we go along having healthy boundaries within our relationships. We'll also need a commitment to be involved in close-knit, kind of small groups of fellowship, community of family, where you can be known, where you can confess, where you can tell the truth. Small groups are great for that, and they can be pockets that are smaller and bigger. We will long for this, a commitment to it. This commitment will also be to just sort of healthy family relationships. If the family relationship is falling apart here among us, boy, it creates so much pain and so hard because many of us have experienced this. May God continue to drive us towards greater implications for for what this means for us. So here's my question for us as we break. What's hindering us? What's hindering you from living in your identity and joining the mission in which the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit are engaged? What's hindering you from living into that identity and engaging in what the Spirit is doing? When you connect in your groups this week, for those of you who are, this is going to be a conversation you're going to be leading into. One that's going to probably be driven around family and what does it look like to live more like family as a church and it's one that we're engaged in. If you want to be engaged in what we're trying to do as a family and how we're trying to live, come to the, to the vision night on April the 21st. This is the conversations we try to lead on those nights. Vision night is a picture of who we are. It's about our identity, of who God is shaping us to be and what we're going to put our hand to. And so... <clears throat> As a family, we say vision night is for the family. And so April 21st, Saturday night, family, be there. Come and be with us. Join in the dialogue. Join in the conversation so we can, we can continue to look at this question. What's hindering us from stepping into what the Father is doing in the world, the Son and the Holy Spirit, from hindering us from engaging in what they're engaging in right at our front door? May you take a moment here and answer that question And I'll give you a moment here to kind of pray and to listen to the Lord as the Spirit speaks. What are the things? What's hindering you from living in your identity as being part of the family of God, a servant formed in the likeness of Jesus and living as a missionary in this world filled with the Holy Spirit? What's hindering you? So Father, would you whisper, not through guilt, God, but through the promise of your work to recreate us and to be open to us that you are open in your love for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, wishing to embrace us and to include us in what you're doing in the world. 
So we pray we would hear the good news that we are not excluded, but we are pulled into your embrace. And so, Lord, by the gifting of being able to hear for you, would you speak? Would you whisper to us about what's hindering us? So let me give you a minute to listen, and would you write down what you hear? What's hindering you or even us? As you had a moment to reflect, I heard the word vulnerability, right? Hindering me from participating, that being vulnerable. And that, uh, anybody willing to, what did you hear? Because I think it, even though you might have heard it, I think it could be for us as a whole. What's hindering you? Anybody willing to share that? They felt like they heard, even if it might be from God, might have been from your stomach, might have been the pizza last night, but it might be from God. What'd you hear? Distraction. Busyness. Well, Father, would you come and speak into those areas and set us free from what hinders us from living out our true identity of being a part of your family, of being servant missionaries, as your children in this world, to making disciples. So Father, would you awaken us to your purpose? Come and do the deep work in us, Lord, that we could continue to be a display people who would reflect your family here in our homes and our neighborhoods and our workplaces through this church. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, we have uh, one more song we're going to sing, and then we're done. So why don't you guys stand? We'll sing together. Your perfect law exposes me. I feel my sin and desperate need. My best good works are powerless to satisfy your righteousness but there is one who lived for me my his life my only victory
God, would you open our hearts uh, to hear your voice and um, to listen and um, bless this beautiful day and uh, your people as we go. In your name, amen. Have a great day. Your prayer.